Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I'm honored to be speaking to the composer of Ori and the Blind, Forest, Ori and the Will of Wisps, Ark, Immortals Phoenix Rising, and of course, Halo Infinite. Gareth Coker, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, truly an honor. Um, you've been in the game a while now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it keeps going and going, and I'm sure you'll be working on some awesome projects as time. It counts. doesn't. It doesn't feel like it though. But technically, yes, I'm. 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 I guess I'm a veteran now. Like, uh, but it doesn't seem that long ago that like no one knew anything about me. Um, but the, the the last six years have been pretty pretty crazy. But yeah, I've, I've been doing this for a while um, for sure. And uh, but yeah, the the last few years have been pretty nice in terms of what I've been able to work on. I am curious as to what makes someone a veteran though. It's probably because you're, you're well known at this point, very well known. I think, I, I, I think it's not just being well known. I think it's proof that you've shipped, shipped multiple titles as opposed to working on, um, because it's one thing to like work on a bunch of stuff. Like it's another thing to actually ship uh, a game. Um, and, Anyone who's been in the game industry for even just a year or two knows how hard it is to get get a game across the finish line in good condition. Um, you know, in in a, in a way that the audience can play it without bugs and, and stuff like that. It's 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 really hard. I had no idea, no comprehension of the level of complexity um, that goes into making a game just function enough so that the player can, can play it. I mean, the amount of smoke and mirrors that goes on to hide <laughs> all of the craziness from the player. Uh, I mean, if the player never knows that there are smoke and mirrors, then we've done the job. But trust me, it like I, I've played some games where it's almost like you can see the, the duct tape coming apart. Like you, you can just see where like things are maybe a little bit unfinished. If you work in game development for long enough, you can kind of see like where things were kind of patched together. Um, so yeah, it's just really hard to ship a game. And I think when you've, when you've done enough of them, um, that for me like qualifies you as a veteran because it's just like it's just hard to finish uh, to finish a game. And if you just think about how big a game soundtrack is nowadays, I mean, most of them are at least two hours long. Many are three, four, sometimes they're six hours long. Easily. Um, and of, and of course, there's a new there's a new kind of discussion being had loosely in game music, at least like how much is too much music, you know? Because when you have too much, there's less for the audience to grab onto if you're not doing recurring themes properly but you've got to have enough music to cover the game so like what's the sweet spot it's uh it's a very interesting thing to, to, to uh situation to to talk about um but yeah generally speaking game game scores are much larger than, than film scores it's more comparable to television really um where you, you you have to write such a huge amount of material so if you know if you shipped three or four or five titles where it's like you know two to three hours of music then it's it's like 15 hours i mean between Immortals Phoenix Rising and Ori and the Will of the Wisps last year. Um, that's uh, six and a half hours of soundtrack. Um, and there's even more that didn't make the actual soundtrack albums that, you know, because I was like, we don't need to put that on the soundtrack album. So it's like, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd imagine there would be a lot on the, the cutting room floor. Um, yeah. So in regards to a lot of the soundtracks you've done, like Immortals Phoenix Rising and even some of the stuff for Minecraft, um yep. you've incorporated quite a lot of ethnic like greek instruments and chinese instruments um do you do you actually get people to play those in the orchestra or are you using like vsts um so it always starts off with vsts but the thing is most vsts for ethnic instruments are really bad um they 
they just can't capture the nuances because it's it's they can capture the tone of the instrument okay but the the nuances that make what a western audience feels is ethnic those nuances you can't you can't program them into an instrument because they, a lot of them is done with how you blow into the instrument or how the bow interacts with the instrument it's a lot of that cannot be captured if you've ever watched a violin bow in slow motion and seen how it interacts with the strings there's a million things going on like literally millions there's, you could do this a million times it's going to be slightly different every single time because of how the the hairs on the the bow interact with the strings and that's the same for a regular orchestral violin it's also the same for uh, a violin from any part of the other world. There's, there's tons of different variations of the violin, an example being the Arhu, which is the Chinese violin that is kind of ubiquitous uh, across like Chinese sounding Western film scores. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I do, I do a mock-up with a dreadful BSD um, and I just tolerate it, but I'm like, this has to be replaced live. And then when you hear when you hear it done live for the first time, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't want to go back to the, the BST. But of course, you have to start somewhere. But I feel like when you're doing a soundtrack with elements that need to be plucked from a different part of the world, um, you kind of have to go to the source uh, as best as you can because then you'll just capture something that's more authentic. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean hire you have to hire a Chinese player um, to play the Arahu, um, but it definitely helps. Um, but you might end up hiring a woodwind, uh, you know, woodwind specialist. I know for a fact that the soloist on Ghosts of Tsushima, who plays the shakuhachi, um, he's actually an American, but he's considered a shakuhachi master, like because because they have like a grading system, I think. And he's you know, and so he legitimately understands every single nuance of the instrument. So, um, really, as a composer, I th actually it's it's kind of like the most fun part of the job is like talent scouting to see who you want to perform on your soundtrack on like a certain featured instrument and of course you end up you know striking up friendships with these people and working on them with with multiple projects as i have done with uh kristin nagus who did uh almost all of the woodwind solos on ori and the will of the wish she played 20 different instruments on the soundtrack wow uh, she owns about she owns about 300 by the way um yeah um her <laughs> Her Twitter is uh, Field of Reads, and um, she took a picture uh, last year of all of the instruments that she played on the soundtrack side by side. Um, and yeah, it's about 20. Um, but she, uh, for example, she played the Aulos for me on Immortals Phoenix Rising. Aulos is a, uh, a Greek reed instrument, and it's unique in that you can actually play two pipes at the same time, so it generates two notes. Um, which is very unusual for a wind, woodwind instrument. Most woodwind instruments are only generating one. Even more cool is that it's very difficult to describe, but if you go online and look up Aulos, it's spelled A-U-L-O-S. Just go onto YouTube and find Aulos performance. Okay. Um, you'll find, you know, you'll find some performances of it. I'll try and describe it, but like um, the cool thing about the instrument is you can bend the pitch of the note in a really unique way just by moving the the two pipes in a certain way and then changing the amount of pressure you put through the instrument. It's and so it creates this kind of like wavy reed instrument sound that is incredibly haunting, um, and that's best shown on the Immortal soundtrack in track nine, which is called Aulos of Tartarus, um, and you'll hear that bendy sound throughout. And I was like, this sound is perfect for the underworld. And uh, I, I basically took all of that bendy, bendy reed sounds, 
put a bunch of reverb on it and I was like this sounds like something I've never heard before uh, and it's really cool and I'm like this is the sound of the underworld in Immortals Phoenix Rising and thus the Aulos was is pretty much uh, omnipresent for for any time the player is in Tartarus which is quite a significant amount of time in the game um, and it kind of gave it a unique identity um, and so so my philosophy with that kind of extended to the rest of the soundtrack it's like taking ancient instruments and producing them in a 21st century manner to make it accessible to a modern day audience, especially for Immortals, which is clearly geared towards a younger audience. If we'd gone full 100% authentic Greek soundtrack, well, first of all, I wouldn't have been hired because I'm not <laughs> authentically Greek. Um, but second of all, I just don't think, if you look at the game, it's bright, it's vibrant, it's, 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 it's very lighthearted. The, the banter between the two main characters, uh, Zeus and Prometheus, is, is very, very fun and up, upbeat. Um, and I was like, we, we, this is not a serious soundtrack. We've got to have some fun with this. So it's like, let's take a little bit of authenticity. Let's kind of go Disney Fantasia with the orchestral side of the elements. And then let's take some of the magical elements that are in a lot of my other soundtracks and kind of put all that together and hopefully we get something that's interesting and unique. I think that's what we did. Cause do you, do you use orchestra most of the time when you're doing these soundtracks? Uh, if it's available, yes, but Immortals is a unique one because uh, it was pretty much uh, the, any chance to do orchestral recording was wiped out by COVID. Um, right. So, um, but yes, I, I'm in the luxurious position these days of being able to kind of demand orchestra or you, you know, go hire someone else um so um, uh the, the thing is i think it's it's not because i feel i'm in feel entitled to an orchestra but like the um a lot of my sound is generated from having live instruments do their thing and interact in the same space and um you know my digital mock-ups are pretty good but then i i i'm i'm working on um, I've been working on ARC recently and I, the, the director said I, I'll never go back to using mocked up music again because even though the mock-ups were good and they sold the emotion there's just something extra that gets added when you have all of those players in the same room performing the music at the same time it just it just sounds cleaner um, it's better performed the dynamic range is much bigger um, there's only I've heard some really good digital mock-ups including my own I, I think I'm pretty good at them but they just take so much time and frankly Frankly, it's actually, if you know what you're doing, it's actually easier. <laughs> it's a lot more physical labor, but it's actually easier if you know what you're doing to actually go and get it recorded live. And that's what I kind of like to tell people. And then, yes, it's more expensive, but you get a better result. So if you're working with someone who knows what they're doing, it actually, you know, even though it is expensive, if you know what you're doing, you can kind of reduce the amount of time it takes to, to record things. But I've been very, very, very fortunate that I've been given budgets to, to work with that allow me to kind yeah. of execute my vision for, for the games that I work on. And I think that's maybe one of the best things about working in games. Um, it, you, you'd have to be hiding under a rock at this point to know that the game industry, to not know that the game industry is performing exceptionally well across the board. Sony's kind of doing its thing with its, you know, really high-end productions. Um, Microsoft is kind of going for the Netflix approach, like lots of different kinds of titles. Nintendo is doing its own thing and still selling gazillions of copies of its latest, you know, big marquee, marquee title. And everyone is making a lot of money. And when everyone makes a lot of money, that trickles down to, to budgets. And the standard of music in games now is so ridiculously high. Um, 
the the only other way to really differentiate yourself is like how is the music applied in the game and that's like the the thing i'm really passionate about is it's it's one thing to have beautifully recorded music with an orchestra etc cetera, etc cetera, and just shove it in the game but that's not enough in 2021 like how well does it sync up with the action and of course when you're playing a game you know any player can play it in a hundred different ways. So how well is the music reacting to what the player is doing? Mm. And then how well does it support the story? And for me, the difference between a good soundtrack and a great soundtrack in 2021 and beyond is that level of application. I think there's uh, a lot of good music in games. I do not think there is as much good game music i very much agree yes because that's one of the things i think you're really great at is creating memorable music i mean i've had quite a few game composers on the show and they're very good at what they do and even in film i feel as well and television is you you don't hear much like a memorable a memorable melody is 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 yeah it, it seems to be a lost art it was quite a quite a big thing i think uh 80s and 90s but not so much especially the 90s um you know what's you know what's funny is uh, i'm working on the arc animated series right now and if you've heard the arc music it's very it's very strong and like it's it's a lot of it's melodically driven and you know now we're doing moving into the the linear format and i'm like i hope we're gonna be able to keep this uh style that we created for the game and and we and we are um and uh i'm watching it and it is um you know and working on it at the same time and it's like Okay, this is kind of a throwback, and you know it might uh, it might make people uncomfortable because it's like wait we haven't had music that's like this forward before because I think a lot of the music that exists for not um, this this obviously a huge generalization because there are scores that still do the melody thing very well but there's a lot of music which just exists to be functional yeah um, and and frankly what's the point um, you know you might as well not have it at all. Um, and often it's used as a prop to support what on something on screen that is subpar um, or is not doing the storytelling quite as well as it should be. Yeah. But actually, when uh, you know, I get excited when I'm like moved from the imagery and the storyboards or the or the animation or the storytelling or whatever. I'm excited when that already moves me without music because I'm like, oh my goodness, you've already got something here. Now I get to commentate on what's not on the screen rather than just supporting action because. When you do that, you're actually connecting the audience closer to the character. Like that's really what, like the great to me, what the great soundtracks do is is bring not you know, on frankly, if you're just scoring the action, that is like lesson one of like film scoring. That's like that's like the most basic part of the job. Um, but where the magic really happens is when the music is commentating on something that ne- not isn't necessarily presented on screen and maybe takes you into the character's state of mind, um, and that's. That's for me is where the magic happens. Um, I'll, you know, I'll use, um, I'll use, or, or even the viewer's state of mind. I'll use Ori's like most famous sequence as an example. Um, the first time I did the Ginzo tree escape sequence, I just scored it as like a typical action music. You know, lots of lots of notes in the music, and I played it with my with with what I'd written, and I was like. I don't feel anything. I should. This is like one of the big set pieces of the game, and I'm like, yeah, this is fine. It's like a seven out of ten right now. Like players are gonna enjoy it, but like, like it's it's just gonna be uh, a McDonald's action sequence. 
Trump goes in, goes out. Like, you know, you're just going to forget about it pretty quickly. And I was like, well, what if I added Ori's main theme on top? And it just completely, completely transformed the sequence because it meant the sequence actually meant something because that theme had been hinted at for like, you know, three, most players reach the Ginzo tree after about three to four hours of playing. So they've heard like fragments of Ori's theme because Ori's like just discovering himself in the world. And then it's like, okay, what that means to the player is like, I'm actually making a difference now in the world. And, um, and it also encourages the player to like, yeah, you can do it. And that's not really being told on screen. And that's like, I remember when we first finished that sequence and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Uh, like some, cause sometimes you just know uh, when something like is, is, is working well. And um, that, that was a real like lesson for me that the power of melody, but also the power of melody in the correct spot. Like that's, and that kind of goes back to what I said, you know, about five minutes ago when that it's, it's about where you apply the music in a game, which is basically good spotting. Like, you know, if you can't just put melody everywhere in, in a, a game or film, like it has to actually mean something when you play it. Like the, the timing of when you drop a melody is so powerful. I think my favorite example is always when uh, it's from E.T., uh, when they finally drop the full version of the flying theme. It's that moment has been teased for the whole movie. Like that one moment, the, the whole movie, frankly, is one big tension ramp up. And then the release point is, is that moment. And it's like, you're just ready to go at that point. Like the music just completely takes over. You don't really hear anything else because nothing else matters at that point. Um, and is the music scoring the flying and all of the nuances of the flying? No, it's not. It's commentating on much, something much bigger than that. The, the reason why we're seeing it less is because, frankly, it's really hard to create sequences like that because it needs to be earned beforehand. It just requires a lot more, lot more effort. And this might sound like I'm saying that current filmmakers and TV people are lazy. I'm not. I'm just saying it's really hard to, to do that. And it can, it can be easy to fall back on a crutch of having nicely produced music. Um, one other small example where I think like good spotting made a difference was something I worked on. The first trailer for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, there's this, uh, this aired in 2017. It's pretty easy to find on YouTube. There's a sequence at the end where Ori comes out to comfort Ku, uh, the owl who's the new playable character. Um, and Ku's standing in front of a, a graveyard full of owl husks. And um, you know, Ku's pretty upset. And Ori puts his arm around Ku. Now, there was a massive debate in the team, like when Ori's theme should appear. And the entire team was like, yeah, Ori's theme should appear the moment you see him on screen. And I'm like, no, you're completely wrong. Ori's theme should start the moment he puts his arm around Ku, because that is what our game is about. It's not about Ori. It's about connection and family and all of that good stuff. And... Everyone thought I was wrong. It was like literally like 39 against one. And I'm like, I was so convinced. I was so convinced that everyone else was wrong. I was like, well, you know what? It's actually not going to take me very long to make both of these because the difference, the difference in timing was like two or three seconds, like in terms that yeah, he's on screen. And then three seconds later, he's got his arm around too. So I'm like, I can rewrite that. It's going to take me like 10 minutes. Um, right. Not even a rewrite. It's literally just moving something around. Yeah. Um, and maybe just stretching out the time a little bit. And I was like, all right. Here's A and here's B. And once they saw the other one, it was literally everyone agreed with me just like that um, because it changed, completely changed the meaning of the scene. Um, and 
good spotting is just something that comes with experience. Like you've got to have watched a lot of things as well to understand like where music is, is can be powerful, but also just comes down to trying out a lot of different things as well. Like a lot of the other team members, they're not composers. So why would they know that like, you know, put it when the music is connected to putting the arm around, but when they saw it, they totally understood where I was coming from. Um, and uh, that to me, I've, 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 I feel like I've given you a super long-winded answer here. I'm That's not even right. sure what the original question was. It does. I don't think it matters, but um, um, that to me is like the difference going forward between soundtracks that just function and soundtracks that say something on a much deeper level to the player. Um, but, but to do that, you need, you need a team that is supportive of that because sometimes you get brought on to jobs. And it's like, hey, we just need two hours of music. And it's like, well, I can do that. And then you're just kind of like a... A factory line churning out like a bunch of tracks and you know it'll still be good music and it'll be well produced and well recorded uh, but the, the real magic happens for me when the composer for the game is brought in closer to the development team and maybe works with the animators maybe works with the artists and level designers to like craft something together and that's something you can really feel in the final products of the very best games in my opinion because have you always been able to have some input in the implementation of the music because some composers don't actually get that opportunity they kind of just make the music and then there's a separate team that kind yep. of decides that i'm uh familiar with that method i'm not its biggest fan um i think it benefits some games more than others right um, i think if you're making a game that is very systems based um like a like a shooter like an open world shooter you know then it makes a bit more sense to like because your music is going to need to reflect so many different kinds of situations but then again there's been so many shooters that have been made which didn't have complicated interactive music systems and the music's still banging so like this this is a debate that will rage on and on and on for years and years and you will generally find me on the side of like it doesn't matter how good your interactive system is. If you don't have good music in the first place, your interactive system means absolutely nothing. That's just something I feel very strongly about. Um, I'm yet to hear an interactive music system that can deliver long melodic sequences. Now I'm not talking about motifs, not, not talking about like little, little like two to three second fragments because that's not truly what a melody is. Don't get me started on that, by the way, the difference between a melody and a motif, because that the, the definition of that has been completely lost. Um, and yeah, I'm yet to hear an interactive music system that can reharmonize on the fly and use really long melodic uh, melodic lines in a, in a way that um, still feels musical. I, it, there's lots of scores that do a great job of reconstructing chunks on the fly, like two bar chunks, four bar chunks, like little bits and pieces, and then constructing completely new tracks. But there's usually two things in common that those scores have. They are groove-based, like so they're, they're just very set rhythmically, like they're not really kind of flowing. And that's cool, like it totally works. It works incredibly well for fighting games and racing games because there's a general pace and rhythm to, to all of them. Yeah, yeah. But for, game, but for games like which stop and start, like it, do, it just doesn't work as well. And I would rather like listen to a great piece of music, even if it happens over and over again. Um, then have something that is recomposed on the fly. But that's just me. And this is why there are multiple composers working in the industry because, hey, I I'm well aware that my approach will probably, you know, you know there may might be some audio directors listening and like, oh yeah, I won't, I'm, I don't really want to hire someone like that. That's absolutely fine because there's also probably some audio directors who will want to hire someone who has 
something that's more akin to my approach. Now, it's not to say I'm not a fan of interactive music. Corey has interactive music. It's just very horizontal and it changes a lot on the fly as the player completes certain actions. Um, but I would rather work with the development team closely to find the best interactive music solution for the game um, because there is no one size fits all. Um, a game whose uh, interactivity I really love uh, recently is Sackboy. Um, it has, but it, but it, it's like, it's so, um, it's, it, there's, there's so many like little accents on the music and, and there's like, all it, it does all of this cool stuff and it works perfectly for that game. If you took Sackboy's music though, and it's the way it's implemented and tried to implement a similar kind of thing in Ori, it wouldn't work. It'd be dreadful. Yeah. Like, it just wouldn't work because the game's purposes are completely different. Um, and so it's, you know, it's just about finding the, the right approach for the game. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, so when, when you're working on, so say we'll take Halo Infinite because obviously that's the most current project I assume you're working on unless you're managing yes. multiple projects at the same time which is possible but when you're working on a franchise that has already an iconic score from someone else is there a bit of uh apprehension or a bit of anxiety that's caused that you have to try and live up to someone else's score that's quite iconic so uh halo it's the, the first time i've worked on someone else's ip um i don't include dark siders because dark siders genesis they kind of let me do my own thing it was technically a different ip but yeah. they were like you can do you can do whatever you want uh because it's kind of a spin-off um yeah so halo is literally the first time i've worked on an ip that was created by someone else um and I wouldn't say it's anxiety or apprehension. Obviously, I'm fully aware of like how loved the the Halo music is. I mean, you'd have to be blind and deaf not to be aware of like um, you know how much the community loves its music. Um, so, the way I look at it, you know, I'm you know I created the language of Ori, I created the language of Ark, Immortals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And really, it's just like going, you've got to go back to school. Uh, like I didn't create the Halo musical language. Um, it was Marty and Michael, and then subsequently it was added to by uh, Neil Davidge and Kazuma, Gordy, and, and uh, there's been a lot of so composers that worked on Halo over the years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you see, but you go back and you're like, well, what makes Halo music Halo? Uh, what does that actually mean? Um, and once you listen to enough of it, and it's not just about listening in isolation, um, it's about playing the game and like playing, going back and playing the originals. Like, well, why do people like this sequence? Why do people like that sequence? And you know, the first thing I really noticed about Halo's, especially the action music, is there's a lot of space. Um, there's a lot of space between the notes. Uh, it's not, it's not like, it is intense, but it's intense in a way that is, it's still giving all of the other elements in the game a space to breathe. Like there's, it's never too cluttered in the, in the audio mix, um, especially the original games. Um, it's actually quite remarkable what the original games achieved given that there was definitely a lack of technology back then and how clean everything sounds. Mm. Um, so you're really hearing everything very clearly. And I was like, like, huh, this is not like busy action music. And I remember, I remember my first drafts for, for, for doing some action music in, in the game and they just kept getting sent back and I'm like, yep, too busy, uh, too busy. And so what they want is like, you're trying to find like, how can we use the motif so they can really be heard and not get lost with all of the other musical stuff that is frankly meaningless like 
if you think about a lot of action scores these days, that there's always something playing. There's a lot of notes. There's a lot of busyness. And actually, a lot of it's unnecessary because, well, we got sound effects and we got visuals and like you got all of these different things being thrown at you. And it's like, do you actually need that much um, in, in the music? And of course, there's moments where the music needs to swell, but actually, you also need moments where even in action music, where it steps back and allows other parts of the action to like take over. And that to me um, was the real challenge of like finding you know, the right sound for, for Halo's action music um is you know going back and you know studying all of the all of the old music and then you know just trying to adapt it to what we're doing in halo infinite in terms of the in terms of the story and everything um but also you know making sure that it has the identity of what makes halo's music feel like halo um the other aspect of it that, that stands out um is you know how does how does the Halo music make you feel? And the comparison I like to make is there's a lot of first-person shooters out there and they all kind of have their own identity. Doom's music is completely different to Halo. Why is that? It's not just because of the setting, it's also because of how the Slayer moves through the environment. Um, and it's very, it's very frantic and chaotic. Master Chief is pretty methodical. Like every, every move, there's not wasted energy. Uh, like you feel, at least I feel, uh, and I think, I think it's, pretty clear that most players think this as well but it feels like master chiefs every single movement done with maximum efficiency to get the job done um it's always about getting the job done and <laughs> I, I don't know how that translates into music um but that's kind of like the the mindset um of what i'm thinking about when i'm uh when i'm writing it um and you know, you know what's funny? I I, I don't want to speak for the other because I'm, I'm co-composing. Yeah, yeah, of course. There's there's there's, there's two other composers, and I, I'm pretty sure that they all went through the we we kind of all went through the same thing together because it's like, you know, none of us had worked on Halo before, and it's like, just you just got to go back and really spend a lot of time with it. Um, but hey, when you get brought onto a project early, you get time to do that. Um, and instead of like coming on at the end and just like having to write a bunch of tracks. So um, I'm pretty confident that what we've done, like, you know, matches, um, matches the overall feel of Halo and judging from the reception of the three tracks that we put out online, it seems that seems that the fans are reasonably happy so far, although I'm, I'm fully aware that you cannot please everyone. I I even learned that on Ori too. Yeah. You can't please everyone. No. Like, I'm like, look, I wrote the first one. It's like, you still, I still, you know, like I wrote the second one and, and people weren't, you know, oh, it's different. I'm like, well, yeah, the game's different. <laughs> um, so what do you expect? You can't just, you, you can't just repeat everything. Um, so um, that said, we've, um, th there are some pieces in, in Halo that are Star Wars-esque in their iconicness, if that makes sense. Um, you know, like the, the Monk's theme is an iconic piece of music. And frankly, if, you know, if it wasn't used, there'd be, there'd be riots, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> there's, there's certain pieces of music that like, you kind of just, you, you kind of have to go and use, but, but then the thing is, it's not just about like, Oh, we're going to take the monk's theme and and use it again and again and again in the exact same way. It's like, well, how can you develop that? Um, because there's still a lot because because all of those melodies are so interesting. There's a lot of ways you can develop them. Um, and beyond that, I can't say too much. <laughs> so but that's a, that's a pretty good tease, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because are you are you guys actually 
working on it together or you kind of working it in isolation? So you're allocated certain pieces, the other composers are allocated something else, or are you actually kind of all working on the same track together? No, I, there's not much uh, cross-contamination of tracks. Um, there's definitely cross-contamination of themes, though, um, because some of us, you know, there might be some overlap where, like, a, a theme uh, Curtis wrote might need to be in the same piece as a theme that I wrote, and then one of us one of us will get assigned the track. It's all down to 343's music supervisor and, like, how they want to divide out the tracks. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, we just generally take what take what is given to us um, with the context that we need because um, it's, it's, it's a big game. Um, it was, it's not, it's the first time I've, uh, it's the first time I've worked like that. Um, I've never, I've never done a collaboration before. It clearly worked pretty well because I think it, it's, um, well, we, first of all, we got it done uh, during COVID by the way. Um, and uh, um, uh, yeah, it seems, um, it seems so, so far the music's been, been well received. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a new way of working, um, and because I, I had not worked with a music supervisor before, um, but I think having a music supervisor was, supervisor was necessary to get a unified vision out to the three composers, and then he was kind of like our buffer between three four three and the and because three four three is a massive company, and there's a lot of people who have worked on Halo for a long time, and it's like if we get the feedback from literally everyone, well, where do you begin? Um, so the music supervisor's job is kind of like to to filter the feedback to the most relevant stuff and that's what basically filtering the feedback to like the halo elements that we need to get into the music um as a you know because instruments like oh i don't like this instrument that's all very subjective it was all about i mean pretty much almost almost all the feedback was like making sure that it stays like true to the identity of what halo is um and um, only, only towards the end when we start to move in a, you know, you know, there's there's going to be new material as well. Then we get a little bit more flexibility in terms of uh, in terms of what we want to do with the uh, do with the music. Um, but in terms of, like capturing that halo feel, we like um, our music supervisor kind of kept all of us on track to to make sure that everything we were doing was fitting. Um, so that was that was kind of cool because I think if it had just been three composers. Doing their own thing it probably wouldn't work um but like having someone to act as a buffer between us and the whole of the team kind of just kept us focused on the task at hand rather than having to worry about you know collating feedback from a million different places um makes sense i did work i did work with a new uh, music supervisor on ubisoft as well but i did all the music myself uh, it's kind of the same thing when you're when you're dealing with a very large company there's so many people who can give feedback so it's all about you know, can you work with someone who's going to filter everything down for you whereas on the ori games i basically was the music supervisor and the composer um and that has its own advantages and disadvantages as you can imagine yeah um but i get to decide a lot of things and um you know the games are not quite as big it's certainly not as big as immortals and it's not as big as halo so it's a little bit more manageable um and yeah, it's 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 been interesting because like I've had kind of both ends of the spectrum working on like massive projects for massive companies and Ori is still a big project, but it's uh, it's a completely different way of working because I have to be really hands on and have a uh, you know a deep understanding of every single nuance of the game. And um, it's not that I didn't for Immortals or Halo, but it's like they're very they're very different ways of working. 
And I don't know if I have a preference at this point. Um, I'm still still trying to figure that out. I think I think they all have their their merits. Yeah, we'll give it a bit more time. So, yes. Something uh, interesting that I, I don't think a lot of people know is because you taught English in Japan, didn't you? That's right. Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you were there, did w- this is obviously before before your music career, but were yeah. you interested in learning how to compose Japanese music? And did you actually approach any game studios like Nintendo or Konami or Sony or any of them while you were there? Nope. Uh, so if I'd done that, it would have been illegal um, because I was. It's based on my work permit, so I uh, wouldn't oh, have right. been able to do that. So, uh, but but to, to get to your uh, to get to your question, though, is I, I mean, when I went to Japan, I was like, I, honestly, I graduated music school in London. I was like, I need a job, and no one's no one's going to give no one's going to give a twenty two year old music musician like uh, a sixty minute soundtrack. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I was like, if I'm going to travel, this is probably going to be the best time in my career to travel because my career hasn't started yet um ironically i'm still traveling now because obviously i'm in america technically so yeah this is not my you know this is not my home uh but um i taught english in japan and i was very committed to that um and there are a lot of transferable skills from my from my time teaching english um my favorite being is that japan is all about the group it's all about benefiting the group yeah totally. and there's a big crossover on that composer is part of a team um and much as i would like to be in my ivory tower and think that all my music is incredibly brilliant and they are every every company is so privileged to have my music on board no it's actually not about me it is actually about doing what's best for the game um or doing what's best for the film or what's best for the tv show that's that is the first thing um music cannot be self-serving in media um it has to serve it has to serve the the game or whatever you're working on and so that kind of philosophy i I just by process of osmosis i think i just picked up from being in japan for three years because i was there to teach english and nothing else um and it kind of especially coming from music school um and you know coming from uh you know family where it's like you know oh your music's so great and everything you do is really wonderful no one cared in japan like no one cared i mean they they probably did but like certainly not while i was at work um and so you know it, it was like okay i really have to be committed to this job that i have been asked to do and make sure that i do my best for the school that i'm working at um and uh, I think the other thing that happened, though, and this is this is this is the re- the really fun and interesting part is when you're in a, another country for that long. I was there for three years. You start picking up things culturally again just by the fact that you're there. Um, so you hear Japanese music, which means you're hearing Japanese harmonies and Japanese melodies, and it just subconsciously enters your brain. Um, and yeah, probably some of that has transferred into my composition. And I, you know, I gen- I generally like a lot of the instruments from that part of the world. And they often end up in soundtracks that I do where, where appropriate, obviously. Um, but also being out there, I had access to the rest of Asia. It's a lot cheaper to fly from Japan to Korea from or from Japan to, to Hong Kong than it is from England to uh, Hong Kong or England to, to Japan. So um, you just... One of the things I feel pretty strongly about is if you're an artist, you you have to go and see the world and you have to do, you have to experience real life. Um, And when you've seen and done some things, I think, you know, generally have more to draw on when you're writing music 
Um, and yeah, obviously we've kind of not been able to do that for like a year and a half. Yeah, well, um, which makes it kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm very fortunate. I still have access to the whole of America, um, which is a pretty big place. Um, so um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's really important for artists when they can is to, to be able to just get out of the comfort zone. Like if, if you can't travel, just do something different. Um, Cause it'll just put your brain in a completely different mindset. It's very, very easy to get comfortable as an artist. Once you've had success in one thing, it's like, oh, I can just do that again. It's like the worst thing that can happen. And yes, I'm speaking a little bit from experience. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, well, you can like sit on your laurels, but actually you kind of want to, you know, keep trying to find a way to push yourself forward. Um, and, and to do that, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And if that means going to a different country or trying a new activity, then that's like, that for me is a, a good way to do it. And that's, that's what going to Japan for me was all about. Like when I was 22, I was like, no one's going to hire me. So I might as well get some real life and real world experience. And, you know, a lot of those skills transfer over. I've already mentioned working as a group, but another one is you've got to stand in front of 40 kids who all want to give you a hard time. Um, and uh, how is that much different standing in front of an orchestra? I mean, obviously the orchestra is not going to give you a hard time, but like you've got to be able to communicate your ideas. You've got to be able to communicate clearly with a bunch of people who have never met you before. And you've got to command their respect because they're about to perform your music like and yes they're being paid to do it that's the one difference but like you still want them to do their best for you and you know there's a there's a way of talking to people that you can kind of learn over a period of time like being efficient with your words and just being super clear and that i definitely picked up when i went to japan because when i when, when i was 22 i was so shy um well you're and, definitely not now no i probably talk too much now <laughs> but um uh it's it's uh, that, that's something that's changed while I was in Japan because I there was what was the other option? You know, I can't. I'm literally there to teach speaking and listening. So it's like, well, if I'm not speaking, I'm not doing my job. So uh, you kind of just get over it pretty quickly. Um, you just um, and and that has really really helped me um, going. You know, coming coming to America, where of course everyone is loud. Um, so, uh, <laughs> like, uh, kind of, it kind of helps, uh, sound. I'm like the loud, loud, louder British person now. So, um, yes, yeah, so there, there are a lot of benefits to, to being out there. Um, I actually, I actually haven't been back to Japan since, since I left. Would you um, want to? I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because I feel like that's a chapter of my life that is very, very special to me, but like it's, it's closed. It would just never be the same because it was such a special, I mean, I, I did all kinds of things that I never even imagined. I, I coached the school rugby team because no one, no one at the school knew how to coach rugby. And I was like, well, I don't either, but I played it for 10 years. Um, so it's like, so I, so I kind of knew. Um, and I was like, well, sure, I'll do it. Um, I can at least get them fit and I can give them some like basic, it was, I mean, it was like the stereotypical high school team that has literally no ability whatsoever. Um, and uh, um, I was like, wow, okay, you guys aren't even fit. So let's change that. So, but you know, that, that was fun because I was like, you know, I was also, they were also getting free English classes um, after school because I was, I was coaching them in English. It's just like little stuff like that that made it kind of special. Um, and yeah, I haven't been back and it might be still a while before I go back. I definitely want to go back, but I'm, I'm not, at that place yet can, can you speak fluent japanese not anymore because no one to practice with but by the time oh, by right. the end of my but by the end of my three because it's been 11 years now 12 years actually since i was there um 
but by the time at the end of my three years, I could get by pretty pretty easily. And there's you know there's still some stuff that sticks sticks with you, but uh, I'm definitely not fluent anymore. I, I used to be fluent in French as well, but then again, no one to practice with, so it's like just kind of falls off a cliff pretty quickly. Um, I generally can understand languages better than I can speak. Um, right. I think that is linked to music for sure. Because um, the reason why I was asking is because obviously if you were to work on, say, a Japanese game and you had to work yeah. with Jap Japanese developers, if you could speak Japanese, yeah. then obviously it's a lot easier. Definitely. It's definitely an advantage. And I know Ludwig Forsell, who did um, Death Stranding and Metal Gear Solid Five. I mean, he's, he's fluent in Japanese. And I think that definitely helped him working with uh, Hideo Kojima. So, um, yeah, I think um, th there are Japanese companies who do work with Western composers for sure, but there's usually a mediator um, or, or an interpreter, like, you know, uh, as a go-between. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would, it, in hindsight, it would have been an advantage for me to keep the fluency, but Eh, things worked out okay anyway. Yeah, so, well, um, you're doing pretty yeah. well for yourself, so I, I, I think it's I all good. I can't, I can't score everything. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of other amazing composers who can um, score, score the games that we have. So yeah. So did was there like an influx of people that wanted you to score stuff right after the first Ori came out? Did you kind of because it kind of really put you on the map after that? Yeah, I, after Ori, I mean things, things got nuts. So yeah, a couple of months after Ori came out. Um, I got a message from someone at Microsoft uh, saying, would I be interested in working on Minecraft? I'm like, sure, let me think about that for like zero seconds. <laughs> um, and the biggest shock to me, though, is that, you know, Minecraft music is all synthetic. It's got kind of a unique vibe and production quality to it. And they were like, no, we want you to create music for these fantastical worlds that we're making Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, Norse mythology, Chinese mythology. And I was like, wait, you want to do live music for Minecraft? I'm like, sure, sign me up. Uh, uh, and they were totally up for it. Um, so in the space of two and a half years, I got to do four live albums with them. Um, and I just that just kind of just came out of nowhere, um, all just exploring different uh, mythological periods. Um, we did a bunch of other, they've got a bunch of mini games in Minecraft, which had like some very, you know, upbeat and peppy music. Um, we did a Pirates of the Caribbean themed uh, expansion. That was its own challenge because I was not allowed to use any of Hans Zimmer's themes um, for legal reasons. Oh, so gutted. Gutted, but actually, it actually made things a little bit easier because, uh, you know, I have a feeling it would have been scrutinized a lot more had I been. That is true. Had to, to use those themes. Um, so yeah, did, but yeah, did a Pirates of the Caribbean expansion pack. Yeah, I, th I think there's like seven to eight albums of material that I've done for, for Minecraft over the years because they just keep bringing out expansion packs. Um, great, great way of like getting, um, you know, getting more experience writing and like learning how to write quickly as well. Um, uh, what else? I think the other big one that I never saw coming, um, the main theme for Ark was my pitch for the project. I, I, someone, someone else asked me about this the other day, the other day. It's like, when did you write it? And I looked at my uh, online server because I, I, I literally have everything going back to 2010 on my online server. So I could, I could wow. look at the timestamp. And I sent in my first draft to the ARC main theme the day before Ori and the Blind Forest came out. Uh, I'd obviously finished Ori and the Blind Forest, the game, because uh, but I was like, wow, I didn't really take any time off. I was just like, I went straight into that. And, and just wrote the theme, which was my pitch for the game. 
Um, and then that pitch ended up being used for the game's launch trailer and is obviously the theme that has lasted six years at this point. Um, and I had no idea that Ark would explode into something that's sold 50 million units and uh, spawned a TV show with a ridiculous cast list, um, spawned a sequel with Vin Diesel as a main character. I mean, it's, I, I had honestly had no idea. I just, I have to be honest, I don't mind saying if I just thought, I was like, oh, this is the fun dinosaur game. Um, like, and I, I thought it would, I have to be honest, I thought it would be a flash in the pan, but like now knowing what I know about Ark, it's clear they created something pretty special um, because people still spend thousands of hours playing it. Um, yeah. And uh, it's just grown and grown and grown. We've had five expansion packs now. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's produced a lot of music too. Now, finally, the Ark gig didn't actually come about because of Ori um, but it probably helped that Ori it, with my pitch that Ori had just come out and had been a huge success just in terms of perception because uh, I'm pretty sure I was competing against someone else um, um, but yeah the, those are the kind of the two that like really jump out from that time period Ark and, Ark and Minecraft kind of like happened at the same time um, and then yeah I just wrote a bunch of music and then eventually um, Ubisoft and uh, 343 contacted me also about the same time for um, Immortals and uh, Halo Infinite. Um, but Curtis had already been working on Halo Infinite for a few months. Um, so he kind of, they were like recruiting composers at different time periods. And then Joel Korolitz um, came on to Halo Infinite quite near the end. Um, but Ubisoft, yeah, th that happened in 20. 18, 29. I can't, I don't even know what year we're in anymore because uh, the, yeah, the, the, the whole time goes. Times, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely the first Ori game kind of changed everything for me. Um, if you look at Ori, there isn't a game that looks like it. I still don't think there's a game that sounds like it because um, uh, a lot of it it comes back to the thing. It's about melody. The the style, the production aesthetic has been, you know, the, there's there's a lot of scores that have a similar production aesthetic. I'm I don't I don't pretend to have a trademark on that uh, that style. Um, but the thing that's that's usually absent is is melody. That's the that because that's the one thing that is the the hardest to do. Yeah. So what's the key to writing a good melody? <laughs> Trust me, if I could write a book on that, I'd have written it and I'd have retired because I know it would have. I know it would be a bestseller. Um, it's the, the key to writing melody is actually it's 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 less about the notes. It, to me, it's understanding the character that you're writing it for uh, on a on a very deep level, like what's and what's the purpose purpose of that character, what's their journey throughout the game, and that's something I try to get as much information as I as I possibly can. Um, and I think. If, we, if, if you'll excuse me for getting technical a little bit, um, one of the most important things, and, and, and this is why it kind of like is a conflict with games, one of the most important things about a good melody is repetition. How many choruses have you heard over the years, yeah, which actually, true. they're just repeated in a slightly different way. Um, like the, the Star Wars theme, like it has certain elements of the theme repeat in a slightly different way. I mean, this, the, the Imperial March is like one of the most basic things ever. If you actually like analyze it, I feel, I, I feel like I'm going to get like canceled now because uh, I'm like, no, well, I'm I like, think, oh, I think, I think, great John Williams, but you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah. Right? I think it's any like, musician would agree with you though. Right. Right. Yeah. But if it's fundamentally very, very, very simple and that's why it works. Um, the first like, 
piece of music that I remember like being aware of in a movie theater was the main theme for Forrest Gump. That for some reason, like that's the first time, like I've watched Star Wars before and it, but like it never really registered to me, but like for whatever reason, there was something magical about a feather moving through the air and a piano being played. And it's just a very simple melody. Um, and it's repeated. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase that I think is like four bars long. And then, he and then Sylvester repeats it three times more in a slightly different way. Mm. Um, and it uses basically the same rhythm throughout. Um, but repetition is a dirty word in video games. Um, and I think that is a fundamental error. It's not repetitive if the music is good. What is good music? I don't know, but you've got to figure that out as a composer. Um, and one of the things that I think I'm most proud of, honestly, is if you go like look at, the, look at any review of either Ori game, I use the melody a lot, a lot, like Ori's main theme. I challenge anyone to find a comment that says the music is repetitive. And that tells me, oh, oh you wrote such a good melody that it isn't repetitive. No, what it tells me is that um, you know, people don't mind listening to it if it's used in the right place. And it comes back to what we were talking about with, with spotting and, and, and you know, timing of the music. Yeah, uh, yeah. People, people don't mind hearing good music over and over again. It's when things stand out too much and become abrasive that repetition is a problem. But there's, there's a very, so very true. fine balance. Um, so, uh, you know, there's plenty of other scores that, you know, uh, so, sorry, let me, let me rewind a little bit. Um, Ori's music is fundamentally loop based. Uh, there are some pieces that are linear, but it's fundamentally a single loop that will just play throughout the environment over and over again while you're walking through. And I actually think that increases immersion, um, if it's done correctly. Um, and the way I structure my tracks. Um, I'll pick one, uh, Shadows of Moldwood from Will of the Wisps. Yeah. Um, it's, the ambient, it's the ambient track. It's fairly creepy, but it's incredibly simple in terms of structure. Um, the way I tend to structure my tracks is following pop song format. Intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, outro. Well, variation on that, because that's basically what every pop song is. Sometimes there's a bridge. That's pretty much every pop song is constructed like that. Well, Shadows of Moldwood has a very simple intro, just kind of some pads and creepy drones. And then the piano melody comes in, first one. And then there's a creepy build with these descending gnarly strings. Um, and that's the chorus. With, and there's like a, uh, the, 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 the strings are going down. And then there's like a rising motif in, in a choir. And then literally the second half of the piece is a copy and paste of that first verse with the melody. And then that creepy bit with the descending strings again. It's literally copy and paste just slightly changed um, and performed slightly differently by the orchestra. And <laughs> So there's actually like two and a half minutes of material, but because of the because of the repetition, it's actually five minutes. But it doesn't feel repetitive because each section, like the verse, is about 45, 50 seconds long, and the chorus is about a minute long. So you never actually are in the same place for too long, which means you can actually listen to it for a longer period of time. Where you start to run into problems is if you have verse one A and then verse one B. Uh, and they're just doing kind of the same thing in terms of like in terms of like the music, whether it's using the melody. Um, you need to have like a break between a verse and a chorus. It's why it's why the pop song structure is so popular and why it still works is because you have that separation between verse and chorus, and it makes things feel different. If you if if I went and analyzed every single track, like especially the exploration music on uh, on both Ori games, 
I could easily point out to you where the verse and choruses are. And I think if you listen to it yourself with that in mind, you probably could too. So because obviously you, you, you've done uh, television and film and that sort of thing, um, have, is it the same sort of key elements when you're working in that field? as you would in video games because obviously it's it's different in terms of the landscaping and how it's filmed you've have you have less time because it's more grueling in terms of time scheduling but do you still um, use a lot of the same practices fundamentally if you have good themes you can drop them wherever you want it's, it's funny because i'm doing because i'm doing the tv show for arc right now if you if and it's like well this character's on screen so i know that i can use the theme for this character if i'm struggling with what to to do in terms of the music here um there's a quote from uh jerry goldsmith really famous composer uh, especially and he his philosophy was if in doubt play the melody if you don't know what to do for a scene play the melody um whatever that means it, it could be one theme it could be one of three themes and the best example of this is in the film rudy which is uh pretty cheesy American sports movie. I feel like he only wrote like 20 minutes of music for the movie, but he wrote, but he wrote an amazing theme like for Rudy. It's so good. Um, and whenever it's a hero moment for Rudy or like, you know, he's, he's going, he, there's like the, 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 the sports montage sequence where he's trying his best. He just drops the theme uh, and it totally works every single time. Um, and that was a pretty good learning experience for me. I'm like, yeah, if you have solid themes, because the audience has heard them either earlier in the game or in episode one, and it's like, oh, I'm seeing that character again, I can drop it in episode five. Well, then they have that connection. And then when there's a truly meaningful moment with that character and you need to do like the, the heart-wrenching edition of that theme in episode 11 or whatever, that's been foreshadowed like several episodes earlier and it has that much more power et being the prime example of that yeah. but it is actually fundamentally the, the same philosophy um yes the schedules are more limited but it's it's easier in sorry uh, you got you got less time in a tv show um but if you follow the same approach you're still ultimately at the end of the day you're still just trying to tell a story and you know i'm at least for me i'm trying to use themes to, to tell the story and um it's 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 really the same approach the only difference is i have a finite amount of time to work with and in many ways that makes things easier because it means i know exactly how the scene is going to play out every time as opposed to a game it could play out a hundred different ways uh, yeah that's true so th there are definitely advantages um <laughs> to, to put it a different way i have exact control over how i want to emotionally manipulate the audience because that is ultimately what we are doing in terms of gaming, because I know you're an avid ga yes. gamer, um, yes. how do you actually find time to actually compose and game? Because it's not like gaming as a hobby is it doesn't take up much time. I mean, some some games take up, what, 70 hours or something. So how do you find time to balance out playing a video game and composing? Um, are you talking about playing the games that I work on or just playing games in general? Uh, well, both, I guess. Well, playing the games I work on is pretty easy, um, especially in 21st century. It's it's very easy for a developer to get me a latest version of the game over the cloud or whatever. Um, oh, right. And okay. that's that's very important. Yeah, it's it, it gone are the days where you like had to wait for a disc in the mail. Um, 
and the cloud is actually much more secure. Uh, that's what that was usually the biggest thing that developers worried about is like if you're working on a big title, you know, they don't want their they don't want their version of the game off site. Yeah, yeah. um, it can leak. But now it's yeah. easier because you can just deliver it, deliver it over the cloud, which is which is great. Um, so the way I like to work, uh, I like to record myself playing the game, like literally myself. Um, I record video of that with the sound effects, no music. If, if there's temp music, I turn it off. Um, so I'm usually lucky in that people don't give me temp music to work with, uh, which is very nice. Um, and so I record the sound effects and myself playing the game. And I just bring that into my software and I write to it until I find something that I think feels good. Um, so that part is fairly easy. I actually build that into my into my workflow. Um, and if I'm being honest, I, should, I feel like I shouldn't admit this to, to prospective employers. Um, I don't spend a lot of time composing, but the time I do spend composing is incredibly efficiently used. Um, I'm not one of the I'm not one of those people who's like, yeah, I composed 18 hours. No, no one composes for 18 hours. Probably just sat at your computer looking at Facebook for six of those hours. Uh, then, then like looking at some internet nonsense for like two. Maybe watching a bit of Netflix, uh, and then maybe you did some work. Um, like when, when I see stories like, yeah, I did an eighteen-hour day. Those only happen when you're like right at the end of the project. Um, Crunch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I tend to prefer to what I call it, I, I like to call it marinating time. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm going to write. Um, and that can be frustrating for some of the people who I work with, but I would rather be, I would rather deliver something that I am ultra committed to rather than just like blurting out a bunch of music that I'm, that yes, it sounds good because I've got a good musical education and I, I, you know, I can, I can produce good sounding music fairly easily, but I'd rather, but like, I would rather submit something to a client that I'm utterly committed to. And thus playing the game helps me understand like what the gamer is going to be experiencing when they play the game. And it, more, it allows me when I'm writing to get into that mindset. So I make time, like when I'm, when I'm composing to me, it's part of the composing process for games. Um, like for me, that is the best way, the way in which I work best. I mean, you've commented it on yourself, on it yourself. Like my music tends to match the gameplay experience pretty well. Well, yeah. there's a reason for that because I I put the hours in basically. Um, now, in terms of playing other people's games, uh, I have a way of prioritizing. First of all, multiplayer's gone, like out the window for me. I I like Ark's maybe the only multiplayer game that I am scoring because you know it has it also has a very interesting story especially now that I'm working on the tv show yeah um but i don't i don't really play multiplayer games by by choice um because if i'm being honest most people don't really care about the music in multiplayer games because they turn it off because they're too busy communicating with their friends i'm, ju I'm just being blunt like that's it's just well, it's, it's just true. the cold yeah. hard truth yeah. like um you know what's the most played game right now fortnite and what's the main theme for fortnite I can't even remember the main theme for Fortnite. Right, and I'm sure I'm sure it has one. I'm sure it's really well composed and all of that good stuff. But but uh, you know, like to me, um, music and multiplayer games it, it serves a function. So it's like it's and it's never going to be that much more than that because there's all that talking that's going on constantly. Um, League of Legends is another example. League of Legends has so much brilliantly produced music. And I, I mean brilliantly. Like if you go onto YouTube and look at their channel, there's some amazing, amazing work happening there. Um, 
but like when it comes to the gameplay music like who really hears it because there's all that communication going on like you know there's there's so so i am more interested in playing games like where it's you know i can get immersed and get lost in the game so i prioritize single player games uh then i tend to prioritize games which i can finish in 10 to 20 hours um and then to filter that down even further i look through awards and see what is getting given best audio at best music best sound um that because usually those games are very good anyway so that like allows me to filter down the massive like number of games that i that uh to, to play um and the one exception to that is i'm a massive assassin's creed fan i've played every single assassin's creed game including all dlc and i've 100 percented all of them because i'm a big nerd um and uh that's the one game that i will take time that, that I will take time out and play for longer than like 40 to, to 50 hours. Um, I usually pick like one or two massive open world games a year. Um, Assassin's Creed is always one of them. And then that leaves room for one other. Because um, I can generally, over the Christmas period, I can generally get 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 the time to, to actually finish one of them. Um, so that's kind of like how I how I prioritize like my, my choice of games. Because there there is time. Um, you know, if, if you're not spending two to three hours surely everyone should be spending two to three hours like with some free time to themselves basically whether that's reading a book or playing games you know for me playing games is gen genuinely downtime I, I still find it genuinely fun i the one thing i don't do is when the games i work on are actually released i tend to not play them for a long time afterwards um i did not play or in the world of the west until uh, a couple of months ago uh, oh wow because i play because I played it so many times. Yeah, I suppose. Like, well, yeah, you'd you'd lose interest in it. Yeah, uh, and I I'd already been through like the emotional experience so many times. Like, and I I I get more reward out of seeing other people react to it. I watched so many streams um, of of Will of the Wisps when it came out. It's it's so fun, especially with how we decided to end the game. Um, like, oh, someone's playing the ending. I'm gonna gonna take a look on uh, Twitch and uh, see see how they see how they react. That never gets old it's one of the frankly as a developer it's one of the best gifts we could possibly get is we get to see real-time reactions of people playing our game it's not something you can really get with a film or a tv show um because you're sitting in a dark room uh, but also people just don't record themselves watching a film or a tv show as they do as they do playing games and so you know you're watching these these reaction videos i'm like man that's really cool we actually did our job um and people you know and you can always tell when people are interested in the game, like their body language, like they lean forward, their eyes are engaged, like the pupils are dilated and like there's this stuff going on. Um, and you can tell when people are struggling because they, they kind of lean back and you can kind of see the, the face drop and the, the muscles are more relaxed. Um, it's It's been very interesting, like watching people play the game and see, see where they get frustrated and see where they're genuinely having a good time and are emotionally involved. And that's something, yeah, that's, that's something. Something I didn't see coming, like I didn't think anyone saw coming, is like, wow, people really earn a lot of money like playing games on Twitch. Uh, I didn't didn't realize that, that would ever become a thing, but the benefit as a developer is you get real like active feedback on your on your game and where where people are struggling and where people aren't struggling. And it's gotten to the point now where game developers, I remember on when we were testing Ori, um, Microsoft have a, and I'm sure other companies have this too um i'm not really giving anything away here because i think this is pretty prevalent now in the industry but they have someone come in and there's a camera on the face there's a camera on the body 
and there's a camera on like the controller so they so people could so so we can analyze like how you're controlling the character all of the control inputs are, are monitored as well to see like what the player is actually doing and so there's like multiple cameras like recording someone while they're playing the game and testing the game and that tells you so much uh gives you so much information about like where you're succeeding uh, and where you're failing as a game developer um it's not just it's it's not just getting a recording of the gameplay it's also getting a recording of how that person is feeling when they play the game and that is like uh that is invaluable information i i don't know maybe that's been going on for a long time but like the first time i saw it i was like huh that's really cool because i can see like you know we we can all see on the development team like where where the player is getting frustrated and it's like okay well maybe we need to change that that's brilliant well um, hey I, yeah well, hey, I'll, I'll wrap up there. Um, yep. I do want to let you go and actually do some work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to say that, hey, uh, thank you so much for everything that you've you've done in the industry and all, all to the future and what happens. Um, and you're in there actually in the perfect industry because just gaming just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so, yeah. Well, it exploded, it exploded in a way that, uh, you know, the pandemic really uh yeah the game industry did not shut down it, it basically adapted for a month and then kind of went back to back to business as usual because a lot of it can be done from home um and uh yeah gaming exploded in a massive way I mean, wasn't there like a webcam shortage last year because everyone started streaming from yeah. home uh yep, there yeah was. and and a bunch and and of course graphics card shortage is is ongoing because literally everyone bought a pc last year yeah um, that's right so. that's right so i mean it, and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon i mean every country's in a different period in terms i think of we've got at least at least another six to nine months of uh you know on and off um but uh yeah i i feel very fortunate to be part of the games industry right now because of this next generation especially if you start to see this, the kind of games that are coming out recently i mean ratchet and clank is unbelievable flight simulator i never thought i'd be excited for a game about flight simulation but they finally put the whole world in a game literally the whole world one-to-one -one. um it's a remarkable achievement and like, this is where we're at in 2021 where are we going to be in 10 years from now like so it's yeah it's a pretty uh pretty exciting time uh you know I, I'm, I'm hopeful that i can you know not write you know, at least continue writing music that allows me to, to work on these insane projects um well, uh, you need to you need to score assassin's creed i think that's coming full circle i i i would love to it's not up to me but uh um we we shall we shall see um they're not going to stop making assassin's creed games no so, um but greg they keep, they greg will probably well. hook you up can he he knows a few people <laughs> He does. Um, so does my agent. But you know, there's there's so many things that have to align and schedule as well. But yeah, yeah. Um, I've got something pretty cool. It's a long way away, but is um, it's I can't say anything more other than it's it's the dream project for a composer with my um, aesthetic. Oh, okay. I'll, yes. have, I'll have to yes. keep an eye out. It's not it's not even been announced yet. So okay. it's uh, it's it's several years away, but. Uh, they're letting me build something from the ground up, but it's like a, a massive, massive open world. So I'm like, it's it's similar to what I did on Ori, but like times ten in terms of scale. So so um, watch the space. Stay yes, glued space. to your I'm social very media. About that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so um, where can everyone follow you on social media? Uh, 
Uh, Twitter is the best place to follow me. Uh, just my first and last name, Gareth Coker. Um, very easy to find. Um, that's the, the that's where I'm most active. Um, Instagram is kind of useless for composers, in my opinion. Um, and I don't really use Facebook anymore. But yeah, so Twitter Twitter is the the best place to get info from from me and the things that I'm working on. Cool. Well, hey, thanks again, Gareth. I very much appreciate it. That thanks is so much. That is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And uh, until next time, stay safe.